Good morning, everyone. This has got to be the biggest lectern you've ever seen. Um, I hope you're all doing all right, slept okay. Hands up who's feeling ready to rock and roll. Yeah, that's quite good. Who's feeling really quite tired at this point? Yeah, there's a row, actually. There's a row. Um, uh, As I said yesterday, uh, the thinking behind this leadership training track is for us to use these few days together to sort of turbocharge your leadership gift and to get you leading as soon as possible. Uh, I think in a movement like ours, uh, we're sort of, I guess we've been going 30 years or so. What's happened is that many of the churches that got started in the early days are now sort of been going 20, 25 years. They've grown fairly big. And so the entry level to leadership has really grown. And so for people in their 20s, it's, it's actually quite difficult for them to step into significant leadership because, you know, you're so much younger and less experienced than everyone else. And so uh, Tom and I feel very, very strongly that we are doing everything we can to encourage leaders to lead while they're young. Uh, And that's really how our our movement got started. So all the guys that you'll see that speak on stage that are apostolic team leaders, they all started leading churches in their 20s. And for some of them, it was their early 20s. Uh, I know for me, I I became an elder when I was single, uh, which is pretty unusual. And I started leading a fairly large church by the age of 26. And I really, really appreciated uh, someone believing in me, trusting uh, in the gift God had given me and putting up with the loads and loads of mistakes that I made. But they let me get going. And so now... Um, however many years later, I feel like I've got a fair bit of track record now in leading churches 30 years later. Yeah, right. Um, uh, and, um, uh, but it's because I, I took serious responsibility on when I was young. And uh, when I was thinking about who to invite to speak on this training track, uh, Tom came to mind straight away because he, um, he not only embodies this sort of value himself and he's wanting to release young leaders but he is actually someone that has been given a lot of responsibility at a young age and so he's in a a perfect situation to sort of walk you through an encouragement to uh, start leading in your 20s why you can still relate to the culture that you're trying to reach you can still sort of reach sort of your peers and those younger to you in a way that I can never do and many other leaders can never do so it doesn't really need much introduction, but I'd be great if we could show our appreciation for Tom Shaw. Great. Thank you, Matt. That's a real uh, brilliant way to set the scene. And um, blimey O'Reilly, the guy, guys at the back, give me a little wave. Hey. Um, I'll trust that you're there. You could do anything in the next hour, and I wouldn't have the faintest idea, because you're like 300 miles away. But it's great to see you. Are you guys enjoying Mobilize thus far? It's kind of like having a shot of espresso, isn't it? It's just like overwhelming, but kind of you know you're going to come out, you know, being energised and changed and everything. Um, the plan for the next hour and ten minutes is that I'm going to speak for just hopefully half an hour or so, talk about three things. Uh, I am here with a dear friend of mine, Martin Segal. Martin, just wait for us. Martin is an amazing, amazing leader, and he is actually young. Because I'm not really young now, I'm 34 so I'm trying to look back into those many years ago when I was young. Uh, I'm just joking. But, uh, but to, to uh, hopefully get Martin up on his feet to share also what it's like right now. How old are you, Martin? 26. 
He's 26. So Martin's also going to share. Martin leads the kids' work in Canterbury in, in Whitstable Church. Uh, he also leads the youth work, and he also leads the student work. And we have 150, 200 students. So altogether, he's leading an awful lot. So we're trying to think of a few things to add on to that kind of job description for him. And then I want to have a plenty of time for Q&A. Okay? I, I feel like in some ways this setting kind of flies best with Q&A. Um, so please, please, please be writing down questions um, so that you can ask them. And I think I want to serve you guys as best I can. And I might have all these thoughts about what I'm currently living with uh, in terms of leadership right now. But actually, some of you, many of you, may be 10 years younger than me. And I, and I might be slightly missing the mark in terms of quite what you're wanting to hear about. So please, just during, as I'm talking, if you want to ask a question there, you can. I, I may well answer it there and then, or we may come back to it at the end. Okay, that's so. I want it to be an organic conversation we're having in the next hour and our 10 minutes rather than just a sermon, uh, if that's okay. Um, so my passion, if you, in essence, is that when you uh, leave this snooker hall um, at quarter past 10, you will be deeply encouraged um, by... Um, and I know virtually every leader says this, so I really want you to hear this properly, but that fact that I am... Uh, if God can do what he's doing so far through me, he really can do it through you. And I really wish that we could all go back in time. We can't, but I'd love it if we could go back in time. You know, uh, 15 years ago, when I was um, uh, a young Christian, and, and, how I, and who I was and, and who, who I've become by God's grace, because I think you'd find it deeply encouraging. Um, and realise that God always uses weak people. He does use naturally gifted people. I think the Apostle Paul probably was like that, wasn't he? I think the Apostle Paul, from what I can tell, was kind of like Superman. I think PJ Smythe is a bit like that. I think PJ, genuinely, I think whatever PJ would do in life, I think he'd be amazing at. I mean, I don't think he'd have to be a prophet to see that. He's just like, you know, this sort of one, he's an extraordinary guy. He really is. Most people aren't like that. I certainly know I'm not. And when I'm um, in the presence of someone like that, uh, it can almost make me sometimes retract in my heart and think, I'm so not like that. What am I even doing? Do you know what I mean? Am I even a Christian? You know, what, what, and, I, and I really want to encourage you in the next hour that um, that, that type of leader, which God does use, um, I think biblically is more unusual than what you tend to see, which is someone perhaps who in the natural realm wasn't a leader. Someone who naturally wasn't someone who uh, was obviously going to be able to excel in things. And one of the key reasons is because God wants a weak people. He wants a weak people. That sounds strange, but one of the keys that I want to just bring, bring uh, today, and this will be a bit of a ramble, I hope that's okay, because it's kind of just, it'll probably tumble out a little bit, but um, is that he wants... He wants to use people who understand that they are weak and fragile. It's a little bit like that thing I was touching upon on Tuesday about denying yourself, about, about understanding your weaknesses and your fragilities. is not an introspective thing to hold you back. It's actually a strange thing that, that if you don't get, you won't ever lead. Do you know what I mean? It's really weird. Some of the most confident people I've met who are like, I really want to lead, it's so tragic because I'm like, you have, you've never mourned your sin. I can see it. You haven't even really got the gospel. And you're never going to be able to lead some people into something you've never even tasted. And so you need to actually, first of all, see how proud you are. 
And then you'll start leading when you're not even realizing it. Yeah, it's that way. If you, so many people are like, I want to lead. <laughs> How do I lead? And I'm like, you just, I know what you're saying and I love you for it, but you're so way up. It, it's not about leading. It's about following. It's about loving. It's about worshipping. It's about knowing him. And that isn't just a kind of nice thing to say. It's a profound truth. And that comes from knowing you're weak and unimpressive. And actually, if you're thinking about leading others, you clearly somehow think you're kind of sorted a bit. Do you know what I mean? Like, for me, I'm trying to, I want to be a good Christian. For me to lead my wife is terrifying. Even to lead one other human is like, that is an awesome experience and an awesome responsibility. For me now to have to lead Daisy, Lily and Poppy, I'm genuinely saying it, it is massive. I feel that. So I think I just want to almost, right at the beginning, say this is about understanding your weaknesses. Not in a way to depress you or to be, I'm not trying to be nasty. I'm just saying that actually that is the truth and that you won't, you won't, it's kind of releasing in a weird way as well because actually as you realise and you taste that, God will bring you into a place of, uh, freedom. So it's about understanding your weaknesses. I love this book. If there's one book you buy um, this year, this book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, sounds so boring, I know. Just trust me. And he, you might read it and you go, oh, that's a bit rubbish. At some point in your life, you'll go back and go, this book is a lifesaver. I've read it now almost three times. Um, my pizza, by Pizza Zero. I know, I'm a total wreck, basically. That's the issue, which we'll come to later. But... Um, the biblical trend, I want to sort of just almost in an introductory point to say this, is that God uses weak people of one type or another. And being young is actually, in a sense, one type of weakness that God particularly loves to use. Uh, he says this, he gives a little list to help us understand the weaknesses that the, the heroes of the Bible had and how there's a trend there that using people with weaknesses is how God loves to, 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 to move. Moses stuttered. David's armour didn't fit. John Mark deserted Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. So it's not funny. Amos's only training was farming. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair, murdered and abused power. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a persecutor. Moses was a murderer. Jonah ran from God's will. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burnt out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Martha was a worrywart. Noah got drunk. Solomon was too rich. And in a sense, Jesus was too poor. Abraham was too old. And David, too young. Do you see the trend there? And you don't notice, you see, oh yeah. They all had something that actually, at a human level, would disqualify them. And, I, and today we're going to be looking at that last one. David was too young. And that's a huge thing you see in the Bible. Church history tells us, Genuinely, Mark Driscoll made this point a few years ago at the Brighton Conference, that when you look back on some of the major moves of God, they have actually often been uh, initiated and carried through by relatively young people in their early 20s. They, uh, obviously, Jesus himself, he completed the work that God had, uh, had given him to do by the age of 33. So I, I want to actually encourage you, although I've started off by talking about weaknesses and, in a sense, not focusing on leadership, at the same time, God yearns to use you. But the way that you approach it is key. It's almost like rather than focusing on leadership, it's actually understanding, I think, three obstacles that I've experienced, very, very simple, that I want to just share. The first one is laziness. The second one is fear of man. 
And then the third one, which I'm kind of walking into right now, is what I'd almost call emotional self-management. <laughs> Hence the love of the book. All right, so let's just walk through those. Um, this, is, this is going to be quite an, an autobiographical. Hopefully that will sh- help you. Just a little bit about me. Um, uh, because I know what it's like when you come to a conference, you don't know the guy, and you see me jumping around the stage looking all confident and eloquent, and well, hopefully relatively, and kind of like, I know what I'm doing. You think, oh, wow. You know, or you can do. But actually, the reality is... I am a marvel. I mean, I remember, Matt knows, Matt knows a bit of the old Tom Shaw. I remember I was a brand new Christian. I got saved at 20 as a raving atheist, uh, university in Canterbury, and this, this uh, yeah, amen, and this, um, this student worker girl from the ch- city church basically just talked to me outside a bar. And I, just, I was drunk, well, a little bit tipsy, and came out, I was like, all right, and I vaguely knew her, and I was like, oh, hi, um, have you been out having a beer? And she was like, no, no, I've been praying. And I was like, oh, oh whoa, whoa, and so you're a Christian? The guy got a bit defensive, a bit angry. And then uh, a seed was sown, and eventually I went to the church and became a Christian. But, uh, but Matt saw me probably a year or two after that when I went to the King's Arm in Bedford, attempted to work with the poor, hated every minute of it, if I'm honest, because I was just so selfish and completely you know, introspective. I was like, oh, this is a nightmare. But I love it on the outside. Uh, and Matt, who led the church, the King's Arms, um, I just, he, even though we only met a little bit, he had a massive influence on me in terms of how um, I wanted to be. So it's great to be here together today, Matt. So anyway, um, my story is by nature I hate responsibility. Anyone resonate with that? No, you liars, you all do. No, I hate responsibility. Uh, by nature, I, I'm a bit of a kind of hippie. My family are all artists, painters, drummers. Um, you know, our house is not exactly, my mum and dad's house is not exactly the neatest place. It's just got thousands of books everywhere and drum kits and, and, uh, and artist easels and stuff. That's kind of who, how I've, I've been, you know, the environment I've grown up uh, in. I uh, went to, I had a gap year in Canada. I did lots of snowboarding. I was like, this is the life for me. This is when I was an atheist. Um, got into smoking a lot of grass and just kind of, uh, and sort of uh, appeasing the, the, uh, the sense of um, almost disquiet in my soul through, through drugs, <laughs> mild drugs. Then came to uni, had the experience I told you about with this girl, uh, Susie, a seed being sown and became a Christian. So for me though, I, had, um, I was someone who hated responsibility. I also went to a, a boys' boarding school. I wasn't actually a boarder, but I was a day boy. Uh, but it was a boys' school. I had very bad acne. I had uh, big uh, uncool glasses, crazy fuzzy hair. I had like the most, in terms of any you know element scrape of kind of confidence, was just non-existent. Um, so I, I looked at leaders as like, oh, you know, I'm I'm just a total goofball, and I was, you know, I, it, uh, that was me really. If I'm honest with you, I wasn't you know, uh, at all um, able to kind of lead anything. Um, but I think that, that, that uh, for me, when I became a Christian, um, therefore the first thing that kind of had to break in me was a whole thing of laziness. If you've got a Bible, just turn quickly to, um, to 2 Thessalonians and 3. It's funny, isn't it? Because we're a gospel-centered people, I, I sometimes feel, oh, should I, should I say this? But I think I should, because Paul did. And um, laziness was actually, if you were lazy to a certain measure, you could have got thrown out of a church that Paul was overseeing. Isn't that amazing? Like some people have said to me at times, 
when people are deeply in sexual morality and they're unrepentant, they've had, they've, you know, they're kicked off because there's a potential for taking out of church. But you look actually at church discipline in the New Testament, and it is way broader than just uh, that extreme case. You see here, for example, verse 6, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother or sister who is walking in idleness. How do you do that? He's saying you start to disassociate with them. Shocker. And not in accord with the traditions that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. And he just goes on to unpack it, for much of that chapter is about warnings against idleness. So for me, coming into being a Christian, the first thing I started to sense in my soul, and I hope um, you perhaps, if there's any element of this in you, um, are aware of, is just a thing of laziness. And and. And being someone who would effectively allow that comfort idol that I talked about on Tuesday to secretly be my real God. Let's redefine it again. We mean, when I say comfort idol, I mean as in pleasure, freedom from pain, freedom responsibility, freedom from any kind of something that's going to hurt me. And I tried to unpack quickly in that talk sort of how I had to keep confronting it, keep confronting it in many small personal ways if I was going to not be the person that stopped me from walking in the calling that God had for me. Do you know that you are the only person that can prevent you from fulfilling the calling that God has for you? You are the only person. I really believe that. <clears throat> and the first obstacle I had, and you may have, is, was laziness. And it was just that there's something in me that shifted quite early on. I'm so pleased I had this attitude. I, I could see it in my soul. And I just said to God, I said, God, I'm never going to say no. <laughs> which is like all the other, I know everyone was like, you know, pace yourself, don't burn out. I have to be honest with you, for me, I just said, God, I'm never going to say no. If someone gives me an opportunity to do something, I'm never going to say no if my real motivation for not doing it would be fear or laziness. And so I just was, my default, it, my, my default response was yes. Was just yes, I'll do it. I will train to be a small group leader. Yeah, I've been a Christian three months, but I'm going to train to do that because it's been offered and they see a gift there and I'm a real work in progress, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll play in the worship band. Yes, I will actually both be discipled, but also disciple others, even though they've been a Christian a few years. One of the massive mantras at City Church is we want every person to both be discipled and also to be discipling someone else. So we try to resource the whole church to be one anothering. It's a huge theme of the New Testament. Uh, that you are both receiving that older person, as it were, spiritually or literally, but you're also pouring your life into someone else. Often it's when you do the latter, you actually change most. That's the, the funny thing. It's often you think it'll be the other way around, but often it's not. And that's been a huge element. Being faithful with the small is not just a kind of um, little na- phrase. It is massively significant. If you've been given some level of small, um, small responsibility, and as I said at the beginning, you know, some might say leading my wife is a small, you know, just one person. I see that's massive. Creating a culture for my family that's going to help them to grow is huge. It's what Adam failed at. So actually, that's huge. So where has God already given you some, some area that you can serve? Please do not be focusing on the next thing. Do not do that. That tendency will eat away at you all the time. I can be doing it with Mobilize. I can be doing thinking, well, there's 1,100 here, but what if there's 2,000 or 3,000? And then I felt God say, don't, no, no, focus on the 1,100 that God's given us and dream for them how God's going to change them. 
focus on what God's giving you. So that principle never changes. And the tendency to be always thinking about the next thing is, is really insipid. It comes in and God wants to just say, what has he given you now? And push through laziness again and again. You'll probably start off as a generalist. Okay, what, what I mean is, is as you get more uh, developed in leadership, often you are free to be able to specialise more and more. So now I do mainly preaching and praying and leading stuff. I, I started off just doing loads of stuff, loads of general stuff. Some young people want to zoom straight into, this is my one main gift. And I'm like, well, the church in, in the book of Acts was several thousand before they had the, the specific next step from God to become those men of the prayer and the word. Before that, they were clearly generalists doing an awful lot of stuff because they were servants. That's the heart of this whole thing. It's about serving. Yeah? I remember meeting with one guy a few months ago and he said, I want to I be a lead. I want to you know, be, be a lead elder. I said, okay, great. And he only worked part, part-time. So I said, listen, I want to ask that in the next, it was in a different church. I said, can you meet with some of the older people in your church, the senior people, the, you know, the people in their 70s and 80s and just befriend them um, before we next meet again? He's like, yeah, no problem. Anyway, we met eight months later. I was like, how's it going? He said, oh, I forgot about the idea. I didn't really want to do that. He said, to be honest with you, being with kind of people kind of drains me a bit. And I, love it. And I, and I was just like, just hear what you're saying. <laughs> it's fine if that's how God sort of shapes you to a measure, but you're really clearly not called to pastor people. And if you don't love people, that isn't just a leadership thing. That's just a Christian thing. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just like, mate... Get before the cross. <laughs> you know, it's something horribly wrong. <laughs> Sorry, but that is, you know. And I would say also, some of us here love uh, particularly the Acts 29, Mark Driscoll kind of flavor. I love that stuff. But just beware, I would say sometimes, if I'm being brutally honest, a, um, I think we just need to keep tender-hearted and, and loving individuals and just kind of like, you know, we're not into just systematizing everything. So that it's just kind of like, well, that's how I love people through a system. I kind of know that sort of is true. That is true to a measure. But as long as it's not a, a cover-up for actually just not loving people. That's why I was crying yesterday when I'm thinking, am I loving the lost enough? Because I feel it really deep that I don't know if I am. So anyway, I'm all over the shop here. Here we go. But anyway, I hope it's somewhat encouraging. So, so uh, laziness was a huge issue. Pushing through that um, was very, very important. Um, second challenge was then... Um, oh no, just one final thing on the laziness thing, very specifically. So what I'm trying to say is, even now, what are the things that you find comfort in that could hold you back from developing as a Christian, as someone who is a Christian? For me, having a consistent walk with God, as in a time in the morning where you are with him. Now I know some of you are night owls, and I'm a night owl by nature, but the problem is, if you have your time with God at the end of the day, you've had your day. So if you've been rubbish all day, you've had your day. Do you know what I'm saying? So I would just probably be a bit of a legalist about it, if I'm honest, (laughs) and just encourage you. I, by nature, hate getting up in the morning. Every man or woman I saw who was genuinely flying for God, all of them were early risers. Very specifically, I would say to you, that is a small cross if you haven't learned to bear. I honestly don't think you're going to have any deep depth to your walk with God. You're not going to have anything to say to anyone if you're not actually personally getting up, going to bed early, getting up in the morning and learning to self-feed. Yeah, can you self-feed? Um, you can't make leadership happen, but you can position yourself uh, in a way so that you're, 
you're actually able to be able to lead people into revelation and in truth and in wisdom. And you need to be yourself regularly, daily, just enjoying him, loving him, getting into his word. Very practically, I'd say, uh, don't beat yourself up if it takes a, a few years even to get a right rhythm. It's taken me years, but now I have a rhythm. I have a glorious rhythm. Well, I get up very early in the morning before my family gets up. We have breakfast at half seven. I try to set my alarm for about quarter to six. And I go into my shed, a quiet place at the bottom of my garden. I have a timer. So I walk in. The heat's been on for 15 minutes, the blasting heat. Fresh coffee. We are physical as well as spiritual. I've splashed water on my face. I come in and I read one chapter of the old, one chapter of the new. I have a study Bible. This is the new ESV personal size study Bible. It's brilliant because you can kind of walk around with it without being like this. But actually, it's a study Bible. Listen, I would say... I'm just trying to be really specific here in terms of how I, things I've learned. If you just read the scripture, it sounds awful, doesn't it? I often miss stuff. I need help, particularly at 6 a.m. in the morning. I really do. And I'll often read scripture, like a chapter, and I'll be like, oh, that's helpful. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. Then I'll read the notes, and I'll be like, wow! That's awful, isn't it? I get more of the notes. No. And I go back to it, and I'm like, now I get it. Do you know what I'm saying? I remember talking to my wife, and she's like, I've just read Isaiah. I was like, okay. You know, it's been like two months or something. And to be honest with you, you totally missed the point. Just being honest with you, she had done bad exegesis in the mornings. And, I, and, and that was just because I, had the, I was like, honey, you've missed it. And she was like, oh, what? So Israel's not that? I was like, yeah. So actually, no, it's a, it says being able to properly handle the word of, of God. It's huge for you. It's absolutely huge. And learning to just daily be a someone of the word is massively important. You might even want to ask someone, can I come and sit with you in the mornings for a while to see how you do. I had a guy ask me that just last week. He said, can I come with you and just literally be in your shed with you? Which is quite humorous. It's a very small shed. Um, <laughs> and just and see how, how we do it. Because it, it, it's really key. Does that make sense? So first thing I just want to say is laziness. Secondly, if you've got a Bible, let's turn to 1 Timothy 4. I'm just going to pull out some very broad points here because time's flying by. 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. I love this book. I resonate with Timothy so much. The second challenge I found after overcoming laziness to some degree, was then fear of man. Okay, fear of man. Some of you won't resonate with this, perhaps if you're super uber confident. Most of you will, I think. Paul, speaking to Timothy, I think one of the key things behind Timothy's struggles was a fear of man. It seems that he was relatively young. Uh, Certainly when he first picked up things, it seems that he maybe had a disposition that he wasn't some kind of super confident guy. And so Paul was lifting him up all the time. And I resonate with this. Um, that he was um, really wanted to help him. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. Okay? So first of all, he's saying is here is that you can be despised. You can allow people to do that. You can give in to the pressure, almost as it were, of feeling people um, around you uh, and, 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 you think, and you allowing yourself to almost perceive the, how, how they perceive you. Does that make sense? You almost living under a sense of, I think they think this of me. And he's almost start by saying, let no one despise you. There's a sort of militancy. He's going to also bring some loving kind of be humble stuff. But he starts with just saying, first of all, don't let anyone do that. There's a kind of assertiveness, which is the whole feel of this week, the whole feel of this leadership challenge, uh, of this leadership seminar, is a sort of a militancy. I remember when I first um, became an elder, an older uh, elder guy in another church said to me, Tom, you need to both treat older guys... Um, almost, you need to wrestle with them like you would with a lion. And some guys, you need to almost be ready to kind of punch you on the nose. 
not literally, but as in realize that the, the, the church has sinful people in it. They love God, but they've also got uh, motives and things that they won't even realize that uh, at times are steering them. And they'll want to influence and change. And if you're young, they'll think that they can easily use you. Um, so first, he said, you need to treat them like that. But you need, to, so you need to be very strong with older men. But also with younger guys, you need to be, treat them like little cubs. And really encourage them and love them. So first of all, let no one despise you. But set them an example. And I love this. In what you say, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So your actions, it just covers everything, basically. <laughs> There's nothing else that he doesn't leave unturned. What you do, how you are, your attitude. I'm not pastoral, Tom. I don't really love, I'm not into other things. Just checking all that stuff. Faith, in your faith. Are you a man or a woman of faith? Are you someone who, is, who has a robust ability in God to be able to rise through the things that at times, if you're someone filled with cynicism or worrying, that might get you down. That's an issue that God might want to deal with you, actually learning to develop in your faith. I think one of the key things that PJ Smythe has in buckets is faith. He just approaches things with faith. It's not a kind of optimism. It is a deep-seated belief in the goodness of God. It's a deep-seated belief and trust in the goodness of God, that even these things that are coming are nevertheless... Um, even if they're difficult, they're things of God. And impurity, that is massive. We could do a whole one on that, okay? Purity. Um, that's partly why we are massively into discipleship. Uh, you know, air war, preaching, uh, Sundays, worship band stuff, yes, but ground war is massive, as in really growing in purity. Really grow. Yes, the big boulders of the obvious stuff in your life when you first become a Christian or whatever. But then never giving up, never just saying, well, I've arrived now. Growing all the time in a passion for purity. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Obviously, Timothy was a church leader, so this was fairly obvious. He was saying, just make yourself, your church be a word church. But I would say you can totally apply that, even if you're not leading a church at the moment. Devote yourself to knowing the Bible. I know it sounds obvious, but believe me... It is the biggest key you can have, is knowing and loving and immersing yourself, as he comes on to saying, the word. I love this. He says, devote yourself to the public reading of it, publicly reading it. I preach to myself every day in my little shed. I, I preach to my, literally, I read it internally, get, think, think through the conversation, and then I will preach it to myself. I will pick one that I was just doing this morning, saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Every, my, my basic thing is, whatever verse you, you're looking at, Read it out loud and then thank God for what that tells you about God. Yeah, like a satellite. Don't immediately think about yourself. Just say, and, I, and, I, and, and what the thrust of it here is almost be someone who thinks biblically more than you think about things instinctively. I'll say that again. You need to be someone who grows in thinking biblically more than instinctively. Terry Virgo is someone who when you slice him, not that anyone has, but when you cut Terry, he bleeds Bible. Do you know what I'm saying? He doesn't think instinctive. And I've noticed the older I've got, the more I've slightly misremembered Scripture, slightly clumsily uh, understood bits of the, of the Bible, and only going, like, oh, that's not quite what it actually says. And the difference in nuance is huge. It changes how you think. And often you, ch- you tweak it 
so you, that you're understanding, so you, that the bit that seems a bit strange or whatever, you're understanding, you're, you're trying to make it make, make sense. And actually God wants us to be a people who immerse ourselves in what he actually says, so that your internal authority as a growing leader comes from this more than your instinctive thoughts about how things should be. And I want to say this, as we've been hearing about mission this whole week, Mission, 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 mission. I hope in the next 12 months before we meet again that there will be an extraordinary outflow of missional activity. But as we go and we're part of things, if you are not rooted and established and clearly deeply walking with God in this, you will probably be taken out in a subtle way. It may not be that you suddenly get into obvious sexual sin or something, although that may happen. But in terms of your, your hardness of heart, you're just... Just you're coveting materialistic things, coveting, uh, subtly making your job your God or making a relationship your God. Whatever, it can so subtly happen because that is the culture that we live in. So thinking biblically, that's why he was just saying to Timothy again and again, do this, do this, do this. And it leads to you growing in overcoming your fear, which is the second point I'm just having. It is the place that you find consistent, robust ability to overcome fear. It's through knowledge of scripture and identification with what God is saying there. It's hugely important. Then he says this. Do not neglect the gift you have been given by prophecy. Now, this is a huge key. Overcoming fear as you grow in leadership. I'm so grateful that we are part of a movement that is charismatic in a really healthy way and believes in the gift of prophecy. I, I can honestly say, I was going to bring it with me, but I forgot, I've got a folder that over the years I have been given by the grace of God various prophecies. Some from well-known prophets, brilliant, but also many just from unknown, you know, or just normal people, but who, are, who have prophesied or encouraged. And, and, and Paul is saying to Timothy here, someone struggling with fear of man, the key, one of the keys that you've got to do is almost to wage a warfare through the prophecies that were given you over your life. So many of you here will already have some prophecies over your life. If you haven't, I would just say start asking God, Lord, give them to me. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that at all. A hunger for the prophetic over your life is absolutely massive. And for me, you see, Mike Betts famously said in a brilliant seminar uh, to download, by the way, two years ago, mobilise one on biblical leadership. Amazing. He said... You see, Christian leadership is responsive, or it's reactive, not proactive. It's resp- you respond to God calling you and giving you promises, rather than proactively, I want to become a leader, and I'm going to proactively make it happen. Does that make sense? It's, you see it throughout the scriptures, men and women who are available, but they respond to God giving them the task and promising them that he will make it happen. And this is particularly key, I think, when it comes to, um, to uh, seeing the prophetic things that God's given you actually come into, into reality. So for me, the fact is, I remember, I remember thinking, I have a de- so, so for example, if you're in this room, probably God is already stirring in you and, and causing you um, to, to, de- to desire this thing. So in a sense, you're already responding. Do you see what I'm saying? That, that there's, all, there's a desire in you to maybe to lead and take responsibility that God, I believe, has probably put in you. But I know for me, I remember, like, like Matt, I became an elder, um, I was 26, and I was single. Um, so that was key for me, just as a throwaway line. I, didn't, I wasn't waiting 
I wasn't like, oh, when I get a wife and a family and all that stuff, then I'll kind of be supported enough. To, I just, I was like, I'm just going to go for this. I'm single all my life. Um, and I just say to you, you know, if God's calling you to stuff, get on with it. Don't worry about, you know, getting everything sorted in a, you know what I mean, in, in a kind of fairy tale way. Um, God calls and he, and he, and he qualifies. Um, but I remember, um, I've been an elder and uh, we were starting to talk in, in the eldership about transition. So who was going to lead the team? And the team, I was the youngest. So I was the ex-snowboard hippie guy. And then there was a, like a top doctor and a top businessman, both in their late 30s and in his 40s. Some of you know them. Amazingly gifted guys. Mighty leaders. And I was thinking, well, how on earth could I lead this team? Um, and it was then that there were several prophecies that came. And something shifted in my heart from could I do this to I have, I'm being told to do this. Do you see what I'm saying? That's, that is the most important shift that occurred in my life, that I knew that if I didn't do this, I was actually going to be disobedient to God. So it, it was the most weird shift. I, uh, it was like suddenly I could say to the church, um, if you all want to leave now... <laughs> Now that I'm going to be leading the team rather than the guy before, I really don't blame you. That's fine. I, I wouldn't blame you at all. I know me. You know, you can leave because um, this, is me about, this is about me being obedient to God rather than me thinking I can do it. And that's a, it's an incredibly different place to be. And it's incredibly freeing. And my hope and my desire for you is that you will never manipulate your way into leadership and find yourself not sure that you could say that. Because if you, in those moments when things are really rubbish, and people aren't leaving, or things aren't growing, or things are bad, if you do not know, ultimately deep down God's called you there, it is a terrifying place to be. It really is. And that's why actually, if anything, I keep saying, serve faithfully. Be faithful with what God's given you. And people will recognise around you God's grace on you. Um, it's not wrong to ask. I remember asking Mike years ago. I'd just done Impact. It's like 21, 22. And Mike Betts was leading it all, you know, all the Impact stuff across the country. And I was like, Mike, do you think I'm a leader? I didn't even know me. He was like, how on earth was he? I mean, bless him. He was so kind. You know, so gracious. Um, but, but I think actually, ultimately, as you are faithful with the things God's given you, God will open up things for you. And you don't have to frantically ask about... Um, or try and make things happen. But knowing that God has called you to do it, knowing that in your heart, is the biggest key, because then ultimately there's an internal authority you will have, an internal authority that you're not ruled by fear or trying to make people happy. You're ruled because you have a mission. I feel that with Mobilise, an example. I feel like something shifted in me ever since hearing that Matthias Report thing that I keep going on about. I feel like an, an, an like a, no, I, I cannot possibly, with my, as long as I've got breath in my life and a chance to talk to people who know Jesus, not talk about this, this horrific, but in a strange way, invigorating challenge that we have with our generation to, to, to communicate and to, to be missionaries. And that internal authority. So what I'm saying, if you're, I often say, leaders are frustrated. If you're not frustrated, you're not going to be a leader. Do you understand that? If leaders are, you can see how this thing should be, and you go, ah, oh, that shouldn't be like that. Do you understand? If you're just passive, 
And you might be quiet and, and, and you know, that's fine. I'm not talking about personalities. I'm talking about a deep sense of frustration about something that God has given you because it, it needs to change. So I still feel like that about student work in Canterbury. I'm angry, really angry, that there's 35,000 students and we have 150 in the church. That really winds me up. Do you know what I'm saying? It should wind us up. It should, I feel God anguish over those who don't know him. And I get frustrated when people are just content. When we broke into glass, I think, no, come on, this shouldn't be like this. This, this, this should be different. And so that frustration um, should be in your soul. So fear is, it was the, the next big thing for me, uh, pushing through that. Um, and then I'll just finally say the third thing that I've been walking more into more and more now, more than fear of man, although that's been a big thing. Oh, just to say a little, a little freebie. One thing I've noticed since taking over, I took over the church five years ago, the number one thing I spotted was middle-aged men who sulk. Now, I know right now you might think, you will spot this. You will spot this. Um, if you're young and God's on you and you're going to grow, and be, you will irritate people who are middle-aged and are frustrated leaders, but they're not really leaders and they want to be leaders. You'll suddenly spot that. I've, again and again and again, men particularly, who they'll try and affirm you at first so they can control you, and then they realise, oh, I can't, because you've got an internal authority that God's given you. And then they'll go, well, I can't do that. I can't flatter and encourage. So I'll do, I will control that person through uh, passive aggression. I'll remove my approval. They will know that, which is actually almost like a Jezebelic thing. It's what your kids do. They sulk. They learn it very quickly. I will remove that. I, I've learned, do you know the best thing to do? I remember there was a guy at church who's actually dead now. He's gone to glory. But, and that's an interesting thing. For, for ages, this... Oh, yeah, I killed him. No, I didn't really. So this guy was at church, and I did love him, but he was, he was used to having his own way, right? He's twice my age. And, um, and, uh, but he was used to having his own strong character. And um, I, uh, he, did, he basically tried, he, he disagreed, with me, disagreed with me on some stuff and some decisions. So when I turned up at church, he just basically was slighting me and just kind of, you know. And I, so what I, I suddenly had a sort of eureka moment where I just, stand up, Martin. So here, here's this sulky middle-aged man who's like, I haven't given him the leadership position. And so you're, he's sulking. He sulked for me. Yeah, there we go. And so I just be like, all right, Jim, how you doing, buddy? And I totally ignored it. And that's the secret. There you go. Just, just blatantly, just totally ignore it as if he's completely nice. And, and as it, just pretend that he's like acting really friendly towards you. And it annoys him so much because he's like, no, I'm being sulky. And you're like, good week. And he's like, not really. I'm like, great to hear it. See you later. <laughs> there you go. That's the way to deal with them. They'll always be there. They're still there because they resent the fact that God's raising you up at an early age. And they haven't understood that leadership's actually really hard anyway. So, you know, yes, sir. Question. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I hate doing it, and it's the thing that drains me most. Emotional thing. Um, so yeah, so that's that, that's a key thing. I was gonna say something else about that. Uh sulky men. Um, what was it? I can't remember. It'll probably come back. Controlling women. Uh <laughs> To, to be honest with you, so far I haven't. That, there was one very obvious situation that was sort of just very obvious, which um, 
ultimately sort of sorted itself out. But I, I guess in the same way, just don't allow that person, the same principle applies. Don't, allow, don't seek their approval. Don't seek it. Just, just seek God's approval. Um, and that, that's, really, that's really key for you. Um, um, really important. Um, and then third obstacle that I guess I've been walking into a bit um, is, is almost now, so if you apply those two things, push through laziness and learn stealth feed and all that stuff, then you'll start to get responsibility and get scared. Basically, that's my experience. Ah! I kind of want to, li- you know, I didn't, you know, so for me, it's like, I love Jesus. I'm really excited about Jesus. And so somehow, bizarrely, people are starting to follow me. I don't really understand it, but they, so that's my experience. But now there's people following me and I'm scared. So those other lessons that I've just said, put those into place. And then I, I found now, moving into my early 30s, um, just finding that the, the long-term sustainability of, um, of what God's called me to do is a really huge thing that you, I want to talk about just briefly now, even though that may be almost the next stage. Paul says here in this same passage, keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on yourself. Um, Bill Hybels, who leads a massive church in America, you've probably all heard of, he, he says 50% of his leadership is self-leadership. 50%. Now, we all nod and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, if you think about that, as a leader, um, that's a huge thing to understand. He's saying, I am by far the biggest thing that's going to stop me from being used by God. And I need to be aware of that. And, and almost, particularly as leadership grows and the pressure grows, the pressure won't go away. The pressure grows and grows and grows. The reason the movement is like it is because Terry Virgo knows how to handle pressure in God. It doesn't go away, ever. But God gives you the grace to stay able to sustain it. So if you feel a pressure of your small group now, that pressure will multiply, multiply, multiply. But his grace will multiply with it. That's the amazing thing. I cannot believe at times the thing, I'm thinking, I don't know how, I watch myself preach and I think, I don't know how this is happening, this is very surreal. I'm not going to think about it too much or else I'll just freak out. You know, just knowing the grace of God to keep carrying you through it. But the, the reality is that Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself because um, staying in a place of awareness of your dependency is absolutely huge. And it's the, the, re- the issue why the whole world went wrong was that Adam and Eve tried to become independent. So staying dependent on him is hugely, hugely key. Staying in a place where you are aware of what is going on emotionally in your heart is hugely key so that you, you're not being drained by the wrong things. That makes sense. So that example I gave of the older guy thing is a classic way you can be unconsciously worrying all week, and ultimately being massively limited in your leadership fruit-bearing ability because you're not aware emotionally of what's going on. So in this book, the Emotionally Healthy Church, he makes the point that we are spiritual beings, but we are also physical, but we are also emotional. So if you aren't aware. And have the courage to start to ask, what's going on in here? Why am I feeling like this? Why am I envying this person? Why am I comparing myself with this person? What is going on here? Many of you would have been going through this week and been loving it and also comparing yourself with lots of people. I, I guarantee it. You, you can all nod. Yes, we all, we're all doing it. It's a horrible trick of the enemy and our flesh. So I invite all these amazing preachers because I want to serve you, but I'm thinking, blimey, O'Reilly. <gasps> oh, you know, and I have to, sorry, God, it's called envy, by the way. It's a sin. Uh, <laughs> it's not okay. And it kills you and it drains you and it's, it rots your soul. So 
learning to self-manage your emotions when you're a leader and you're then in a situation where others around you are leading and you end up wanting to compare yourself is massively, massively key because it will otherwise um, shipwreck you and cause you to, um, to kind of conk out at a premature age. I guess I'll just say one last thing and then we'll get Martin up. Is that I would say with all of this, it's about focus on your character more than your gift. Focus on your character more than your gift. Um, let it be your ambition to, um, if God's put a design you to lead, that is amazing and brilliant and I love it and it's great. And my goodness, do we need an army of leaders. I think all I want to say is, is that make sure that your primary place of deep pleasure is in the presence of God. Is that if you never lead a single person, um, is that you know that you can say, Lord, like Paul said, my greatest desire is knowing you. And that really, really is key because some of you want to lead and God's not going to let you lead because he's just going to say, I can still see you're wanting it for the wrong reasons and I want to lovingly make me enough for you. Because if I see church leaders, if I'm honest with you, and I can, you can just see so clearly the murky motives. Now, I want to say this. I've got murky motives. I remember several years ago praying. There was a guy who, who started a church um, and I was a bit like, I'm not sure about this, you know, Lord, this guy is that good. This is in, in the same area. And, uh, and I was like, Lord, you know, just not that sure about this guy, you know. And then about a year later, after praying this, God, said, God just showed me, Tom, what about you? Do you honestly think you have some utterly pure motives for doing this? You really don't. And it was very embarrassing. You know, there's maybe you feel embarrassed, even there's no one there. You're like, God, just show you I feel undone. I'm so sorry. So we all do have murky motives, but God wants to use us. But I know it's been a bit rambly, but I hope that's been so helpful. I'm going to get Martin up, um, and then maybe we'll have 10 minutes of Q&A at the end. So just be thinking afterwards. Let's welcome Martin, shall we? Okay, can you hear me? Excellent. I kind of feel like, um, personally in my life, I'm not, I am an absolute wimp when it comes to roller coasters. And uh, sometimes in the past I've had to go to theme parks and, uh, and queue up because people have forced me onto some kind of roller coaster. And as I stand at the, in the queue, I kind of have to psych myself up to do it. And I, I always look for the weakest person in the queue with me, some kind of small child or small girl that I can think, if they're going on this roller coaster, then I can do it as well. And I kind of feel like I'm that small child for you today. As, you, uh, <laughs> as you'll hear about leadership, I'm kind of that little girl kind of going on the roller coaster with you. And I hope that I'm going to encourage you with the things I have to share. Tom, um, Tom asked me just to come and share a bit of my story. Um, that's what I'm going to do. Hopefully it will help you. If it doesn't, I apologise for wasting your time. And then uh, Tom will jump up and share um, and do some questions with you. So basically, as Tom said, I'm based in Canterbury. Uh, my name is Martin. Um, I am 26 years old. I got married two and a half weeks ago, which is very exciting. Thank you so much. There's the rings to prove it. My wife couldn't come because we had two weeks holiday. And then uh, she had to go back to work. And I had to go back to work, which is this, which is very blessed. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, so basically, I think I want to talk about three main things with you in basically 10 minutes is look at the calling of leadership, the gifting of leadership, and the character of leadership. And I think my story is very much focused on the character most, but the calling and the gifting is in there as well. Fifteen years old, I became a Christian on a, on a camp, on a youth camp, and um, very quickly I, I received some words about leadership. And I remember 
not being sure how to deal with it. As a 15-year-old, people telling me that, you know, you're going to be a leader. I can just see it, you know, these different words. And um, if I'm honest with you, often the calling comes quite early. I don't know what your story is. But for me, the calling of leadership did come at quite an early age. And um, I was not ready to cope with the calling of leadership. And so what happened was very quickly, uh, pride grew quite big in my heart and jealousy grew quite big in my heart. So I became very proud. So I used to think that at the age of 15, 16, and at that point, if I'm honest with you, my view of Christianity was it was for Sundays and then the rest of the week, it didn't really matter. But I used to think that I deserved opportunities. So I'd, I'd go to my church where I grew up in Essex and I would kind of demand things. Now, I should, I should definitely be preaching on a Sunday morning. I should be doing all these kind of things. And I got a couple of opportunities, but the first kind of from the age of 15 to 18, for me, it was all about learning to handle the calling to leadership. There, there wasn't really any leadership um, realistically me moving into but there was a call that God had put on my life and I was learning to deal with it. It also came jealousy when you see someone else get an opportunity that you think you deserve learning to deal with the kind of envy and jealousy and bitterness and disappointment of, of not being asked to do that. Why didn't they ask me? I'm, I'd be much better than that person. Kind of dealing with those kind of things. And from the age of 15 to 18 it was a real kind of uh, you know haphazard dealing with the calling of leadership. The age of 18, I came to university basically because I didn't want to get a job um, and I thought I'm going to go to university. So I moved to Canterbury and uh, I remember a friend of mine from the camp that I became a Christian on told me, you should try this church, City Church. My friend Tom, he leads the student work there and I was obviously just become a student so I thought I'll give it a go. So I rocked up to City Church at the age of 18, an absolute scallywag from Essex, thinking I was the bee's knees. I honestly did think I was like the next big thing, you know, kind of. In two months' time, I'll be, I'll be up there. And I remember introducing myself to Tom, and uh, Tom and I went for coffee. And I, and I honestly told Tom, like Tom was talking about people that say I'm a leader. That was me. I sat with Tom over a coffee, and I told him that I was a leader. I said, Tom, I just want you to know, uh, you know I've had some, some prophecies over my life from a very young age, and, uh, and I'm, I'm a leader, and I'm ready. Just, you know, just give me an opportunity, and I will lead. And, uh, and Tom helpfully began to point uh, out to me that, yes, you can have a calling to be a leader, and hopefully the reason that most of you are here is probably because you have had a calling to be a leader, whether that's a prophetic word or whether that's just a burden on your heart, God's put that in there. And yes, you do need gifting. You do need to be gifted to be a leader. If people are going to follow you, you need to be leading them somewhere. So I do think those two things are very important. But I tell you what, the thing I've learned <laughs> over the last kind of 10 years has been beyond the shadow of a doubt, God is more interested in your character than anything else. You haven't earned your gifting. Okay? It's a gift. It's not like you've kind of done something impressive and then God says, well done, here, have the gifting of leadership. It's, it's just an outrageous grace gift from God. And so you receive it. And then it's about working out how you do it. So from the age of 18 to 20, I did not get into any positions of leadership. Basically, I got battered by Tom Shaw every week in our discipleship relationship, where we began to really chisel into the character of Martin Segal, which at that point was horrendous. It was overgrown. It was proud. It was disgusting. There were a lot of things in there that God really needed to work on before he could use me in any way, shape or form. So for two years, I used to go to Tom's, and um, again, I'd kind of started to learn that Christianity was kind of a daily relationship with Jesus, but it wasn't totally coming into practice yet. So I'd go to church on Sundays, and I'd be the guy, woo, you know, like getting in there, and then the next night, I'd be out of the club getting drunk and smoking, and you know, just kind of, and then, and then I'd have to go and see Tom Shaw. And as I'm walking to see Tom Shaw, I can still picture it in my head, walking down the road, thinking, if he asked me if I got drunk, I'm going to say no. I'm just going to lie. If he asked me if I had any cigarettes, I've got some in my pocket, but I'm just going to say no, I'm going to lie. And I get there, and like God was really on our time, and he, I'd never be able to lie. It was the most frustrating thing in the world, but I'd always sort of be like, Mike, have you got Johnny's here? I'd be like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and for two years, 
kind of, kind of, God was really at work. And, and for me, there were really obvious public things that God needed to work on first and foremost because they were just blaringly in your face. Like, if God's going to use me in any way, shape or form, he needs to deal with these. He is still totally and utterly working on my character. And I know he's going to be for the rest of my life. But I think what you find is that as you do grow older, as you mature and you walk with Christ, the, the weaknesses become less subtle. But they're still there. They're more obvious for you, but I think they're less obvious for people around you. So people can start to think you're kind of sorted and you're like, if you knew, <laughs> if only you knew. But those first two, from 18 to 20, so kind of 15 to 18, I was living with this calling. I was aware of the gifting, but probably a bit too much. From 18 to 20, God started to really nail my character. And at the age of 20, I got my first opportunity to lead. I'd, uh, some, some girls were leading the youth work in our church at the time. And um, at that point, I used to dress like quite a chav. Not really anymore, but I used to. I did used to wear tractor bottoms, football top, baseball cap. That was what I wore because I was from Essex. You know, I grew up like that, and I was proud of it. And uh, so they came and asked me if I'd get involved in youth work, basically because I looked like a youth. And so, you know, <laughs> surely he'd be good at it. And I said, yeah. So I went along once to this youth club. There were about 15 kids there, two, three boys, and then the rest were girls. And the boys were like absolute crazy town. They just went mental. And um, after that night, the, youth, the girl that was leading youth work kind of went to the eldership and was like, it's just unbelievable. Like the boys and girls are just not getting on. We need to deal with this. So I'd gone once, and then Tom was just up for me, and Tom sat me down and said to me, Martin, we, um, we'd like you to... Uh, basically, they were going to ask this other guy to lead the boys' youth work. Um, there were three of them, and then you know, I'd kind of come under him and learn from him, and I was like, that'd be amazing. And then the guy said no, so then they asked me to lead the boys' youth work. So my first opportunity from the age of 15, living with this calling that I was going to be a major, mega leader, my first opportunity was to lead three boys <laughs> in a youth group every week. And uh, sometimes they'd come, sometimes they wouldn't come, sometimes they'd want to listen, sometimes they wouldn't want to listen. And that was a real humbling moment for me. And for the biggest thing I learned was that if you want to be a leader, you need to learn to serve. I really believe that. I think that God is so interested in our hearts and what we do. And he's so interested in us being faithful with the little. You see that throughout scripture and Tom already said it. That you know, It's a clear biblical principle that if you're faithful with the little, God will give you more. And for me, that was a real uh, learning curve in terms of being faithful with the little, l- l- faithful with these three guys who, to be honest, they, they weren't really interested in Christianity. They came because, I don't even know why they came, but they came anyway. Well, yeah, all the girls, and then we took them away from the girls, but they kept coming, which was incredible, which was encouraging. So I kind of started to do that, and I started to learn to lead, and then I gathered a little team of guys around me to support me in, in leading this youth work, and then I got asked to be an intern in the small group, and that was a real exciting opportunity, and and kind of I started to learn in, in that context how to lead those older than you. And I think when you're young, that is a huge challenge. And I think Tom has you know, served us so well in terms of talking about the fear of man. But I would say don't underestimate the challenge there is in terms of leading someone older than you. Whether it is encouraging them into the presence of God or whether it's kind of challenging them into the presence of God, both are very difficult. And, and you know, it's, it's a real humbling experience. To lead someone older than you is quite a surreal experience. But that's where you've got to learn to trust in what God's calling you to do. So I began to kind of, as I was doing this, I was getting these opportunities. I did feel as though God was slowly but surely nurturing me and to training me into leadership. I think if God, God knew, if he just dropped me slap bang into some kind of mega you know, thing, then I would have just gone mental with power and kind of would have been puffed up. And just, you know, I wouldn't be here today. I really believe that. I think God has worked in my life so much and is, is still doing so. So I became an intern in a small group. 
I then also led uh, our Invisible Society, which was basically we wanted to, as a church, get onto campus. And uh, at that time, the university were a little bit hostile to us. So we decided to create a kind of um, smokescreen society so that basically we could be the church on campus, but we were called the Invisible Society. Don't ask me why we called ourselves that. I can't remember. Um, And kind of we used to do things like Alpha on campus. We used to do things like venue outreach. And I used to head this stuff up. And, And then the challenge came of leading my peers. So I kind of had the opportunity to lead those younger than me in this youth group, these three boys. Uh, I then had the opportunity to start to kind of get involved in leading those older than me. And then I had the opportunity of leading my peers. And And I honestly believe for our age group, I think that's probably the toughest, is leading those who know you. Is leading those who, who saw you when, when you were like you were. So leading guys who knew me when I was six months ago, you know, out getting battered in the pub and, you know, all of those kind of things. Now suddenly me saying, come on, let's go to the club. I want to encourage you. Like, that was a real challenge. And I think God, again, starts to work in your character. And they are real humbling times. We have to stand up in front of those who are speaking into you, who are kind of sharing life with you and, and seeing every area of your life, seeing all the obvious weaknesses, all of the less obvious strengths, and kind of you have to start to lead them. And so very quickly, God started to kind of grow me um, and give me opportunities. I then moved into leading the small group, um, which was a real privilege and a real blessing. I did that for about four years, leading the small group. And again, that was a real kind of learning to lead others. And, get, and I think the biggest thing I learned through my time as in the small group was that God had kind of taught me, uh, you know, the callings there, the giftings there, start to work on the character, start by leading those younger than you. I think that's a good place to start. So if you're not in a position of leadership now, I'd encourage you maybe to start thinking about youth work or kids work or something like that. Leading those younger than you, I think is a safe place to start stepping out. I think also though, then stepping into places where you feel out of your depth, so small groups, cell groups, what life groups, whatever they're called in your church. If you have that kind of model, I'd hugely encourage you to look to get involved in interning in there. Um, and again, then you learn to lead those older than you. Then doing things with students, those your age, that's a real opportunity and CUs, that kind of thing. And then what happened was with, when I started leading a small group was that then I had to learn how to kind of delegate and, and raise up leaders. And that was a huge challenge because for me, again, still at this point, and to be honest, still now, pride is, is a big issue in my life. And so at that point, to give other people opportunities to lead was like, why would I do that? I can do it. I'll do all the four W's. You know, I'm awesome at this kind of thing. And I had to learn to give people opportunities to, to draw out giftings in people. And I think that is a real skill to learn as a leader. If you want to grow in your leadership gifting, learning to raise up other leaders quickly is, is a huge one. So I'd really encourage you to, to think about that. I then got asked to lead our youth group. Um, to start off with our 11 to 14s, boys and girls, we brought them back together. You'll be glad to hear the boys kind of settled. Actually, I think the crazy ones left, and then, uh, and then the normal ones kind of stayed. And uh, we began to grow um, an 11 to 14s youth group. After a while, we then brought the 11 to 18s together, and I, I started to, to lead that youth group. And that kind of all happened from the, from the stage of about uh, 20 to um, the end of my impact year, so kind of 21, 22. Um, in two years, got to kind of, you know, taking about eight years for God to actually get me in a position where I was even able to lead one person, but myself. Uh, and then God kind of started to, to grow me quite quickly uh, into positions of, of leadership. And then what happened was after impact, if I'm honest with you, I was expecting to be employed by the church full-time as an elder. Uh, that didn't happen. And uh, so I, I went to work in a, in a school with kids who had been abused and neglected when they were young and were in care. And that, for me, was just a life-changing experience for that year. I think I learned to, to love people who are difficult to love and to build relationships with people and to continue to love them even when the relationship breaks down. And the relationship would break down every day with those kids. It was a real challenge. And also, I started to learn how to lead whilst having a full-time job, how to have a, a balance of 
church, work and social life, kind of that balance. And I'd encourage you, if you're in your 20s and you are, um, maybe you were like super zealous when you were a student and then you, you, you graduated and, and perhaps you stayed in the place that you went to university um, and you've got a full-time job and suddenly it's just really hit you in terms of that challenge of how do you have a, a full-time job and, you know, do the things for church. And I just encourage you, it is possible. I, I had a massive commute. I had an hour and a half commute to work and back. And uh, often what would happen was I would um, go to work, I'd leave at like 6 o'clock in the morning, I'd get back about 6 o'clock at night, and then I'd go to the church offices and I'd do things. And I think I was probably a little bit of a special case in terms of I was, I was sold out for church from, from kind of my second year of university. I was sold out for church. I knew church was what I wanted to do. I just loved it 100%. But I love being in the workplace. But So I think it is possible, but you've just got to count the cost. And I think I was blessed at, uh, at that point just to be able to really throw myself into the youth work um, and to do that. I then got the opportunity to start to preach in certain contexts, in our Sunday evening services and then uh, in our Sunday morning services as well, which is a real opportunity and a real blessing. Again, that's a real challenge to uh, be able to do that alongside working full-time and those kind of things. Um, Then I got given the opportunity to lead the kids' work alongside the youth work. So at this point, I'm working full-time. I am leading our youth work. I've joined the teaching team in church. I am uh, leading a small group. I might have moved to coordinate in small group, I can't remember. Um, and, and then I've just been asked to take on the kids' work as well. This is all voluntary at the moment. And um, I think one thing I learned very quickly was that the be-all and end-all isn't to be employed by the church. I think God had to really deal with my heart on that. I don't know where you guys are at. Perhaps for you, you know, that's not an issue for you. But for me, it kind of did become a bit of a God to me. Because that was like what drove me. That was like, when I get there, that's when, you know, I'll be, I'll be kind of sorted and, and everything will be great. And God started to deal with my heart. But actually... You know, it's great to be employed by the church, and if you can, be fantastic. But actually, it's great to be in the world, and the opportunity to develop relationships with those that don't know Christ, to show the love of Christ to those that have never experienced His love, and those kind of things is a real opportunity. And so, kind of, I'd hugely encourage you to don't kind of just get blinkered in terms of thinking church, 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 ministry, leading all that kind of stuff. You can lead in any environment, as Tom was talking about with your family. You can lead in the workplace. You can lead in so many different settings. And so God was kind of starting to move me in. And then September, I, did, I came on part-time uh, with the church, leading the kids and youth work. And then when I came on part-time, I took on the Sunday evening stuff as well, which I called Envision, our student-focused ministry. And then in January, I came full-time for the church and took on the student work as well. And I think God has and is working in my life in exciting ways. Like, just as I was preparing this, it was quite a humbling experience to just remember the journey that God's taken me on so far. And, you know, and for all of us, we've got stories of, of the progression that God's taken us on. And uh, just as I was preparing this, I just felt God say, and I think Tom touched on this, about comparison. And we can look at guys like Matt or Tom or, you know, guys on the stage, and we can think, you know, when I get to that point, then I'll be able to say I'm a leader. And it just feels like God wants to kind of break that lie uh, across this room today and to say that, you're here because he's, he's calling you to leaders. You're here because you're gifted to be leaders. Focus on the character, I think. When you focus on the character, you'll find opportunities will come, as Tom was saying. Don't create opportunities for yourself. Focus on yourself. Try and work on your heart. Try and work on um, the way you view yourself. The way you view others is going to be essential to it. And I think if there is jealousy, if there is envy, if there is bitterness, work on that. Because if you go into leadership with those things then you're not going to raise anyone up. You're going to become a bottleneck for the ministry that you're involved in or the thing that you're doing. Whereas if you can learn to love people and enjoy seeing others grow, then what happens is God will give you more opportunities because you're proving yourself faithful. So I think my testimony is basically I was faithful with little and God's just added and added to it. And I don't, I don't stand up here to try and be arrogant and say, look at me, I am now a leader and everyone be amazed. Tom asked me to share my story. That's my story. I've kind of journeyed on it. I'm really excited about now leading my wife and learning on that and then, 
hopefully, God willing, have children soon, not, not that soon, uh, and, uh, and start to lead our family there as well and see where God takes us next. But I just encourage you that God knows each one of us individually. He knows what we need, when we need it, how we need it. And he'll bring you into fruition. He'll, he'll bring things. He doesn't start something and then leave it half done. He'll bring it to completion. So just trust in him and feel encouraged. Thank you. Uh, we've got about five minutes, seven minutes. Just one other final thing I have to say. Uh, pray to God that he will give you a, like a, or several, or certainly at least one, like a spiritual father or mother at some point in your life. Mike Betts, who's preaching tonight. Some of you will know, some of you won't know. That guy, I, the reason I'm alive and doing what I'm doing is because of that guy. He's just fathered me and amazing. And it's just a huge part of the New Testament is, is that kind of dynamic. So, um, you know, do seek that out. That's a really huge thing. And Mike, to me, more than anyone, modeled not pushing myself forward. He's just someone who trusts in the providence and sovereignty of God. And he never tries to manipulate or, or make himself the center. And that's why God's raised him up in an incredible way and, and, and will continue to do so. So we've got a few minutes left. Um, guys, any questions? Yeah, Jamie. Martin will be able to tell you better than that. The question was, how confrontational am I in my discipleship? Should I answer that? Yeah. <laughs> Tom, Tom discipled me for three years, and then we had a break, and now you're discipling me again, aren't you, yeah. technically? Um, Tom, I think it varies. I think it does vary. I think I, I learned a lot from this guy um, in terms of how to disciple, and I think it varies on, on the person that you've got. I think it's in uh, Titus, isn't it? It was about... You, you deal differently with different people. So to the idol, you know, you are a bit more firm. And with the weak, you're a bit more gentle. And I think that's the case. So, for example, with me, I came in, Captain Proud, kind of, I'm a leader. Tom was very firm with me um, and would not pull any punches. He'd go in hard. Um, I know he's done that with a few other guys in terms of, you know, like, them not reading their Bibles properly and Tom kind of really confronting them. We, we do a thing in Canterbury called EMP, Early Morning Praise. And uh, Tom's kind of mantra was that you go to EMP. If I disciple, you go to EMP. And if I didn't go, he'd ring me about 9 o'clock in the morning and wake me up. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm awake. Uh, I'll be really busy. Um, but I think, like, I think it varies. And I think also discipleship is a journey as well, isn't it? So when, when you first start discipling someone, especially if they've just come to university and they join your church, often you'll find that there's a lot of obvious things you need to deal with quickly um, and immaturities that you want to work on. As those start to get worked on and they mature in Christ, actually your discipleship relationship uh, changes and it becomes more flexible. So Tom and I started with character bashing times for about two years. And then the last year was, was more kind of we would get together and we'd, we'd actually study the Bible together and we'd, we'd talk about stuff. And then actually Tom started to uh, encourage me to prepare a preach and then I'd come and I'd preach it to him and stuff. So I think like it, it, it changes as the person changes. So I say, if you need to be confrontational, be confrontational. But, you know, it's all done in love, isn't it? And it's for, that, for the good of that person. My just my, my two pence worth is most people aren't confrontational enough. Most people just have a coffee and they go and they might touch upon have you had a good time? You know, do you love and when I talk about quiet times, I'm not doing it for the sake of it is do you love Jesus? Are you enjoying Jesus? Because that's for me is the key thing that helps me daily to get to that place. And so often I talk to people and they're like they don't really ever do that because they don't feel often they don't feel themselves in that greater place and they're often like, Can I really say that? And so I think it's just saying there's just no, no point unless there's an edge to it. I'll often say with discipleship, I'll say we're going to do this for six months and then we both 
can get out of this. Um, so there's a, there's a pace to it. I'll say, you've got to chase me. I'm not going to chase you. So you ring me. I used to say, Tuesday morning, I'm in the office. First come, first serve. I'm discipling six guys. First people to ring me or email me will get the slots. If you don't bother doing it, I'm not going to chase you. I'd say, number three, what is it in me that you want to grow most in? So we give it a focus rather than just a general kind of thing. Fourthly, they've got to know that I love them. So if I'm going to have any sort of challenging element they've got to feel that love so I don't go for programs I don't go for lots of books personally just the way I'm wired I tend to be very relational and try and make sure that they know I really really love them genuinely so that then they can hopefully receive um, some challenge and it not just feel like I'm turning them off okay next question yes sir in the middle all right no a million times no um so I'm rubbish at organizing yay um you really, really don't. And actually, it gives opportunities for other people around you to, uh, to be able to grow in that. Probably, I can't remember the exact, some wise dude, I think James McDonald said, in your 20s, you're dealing with certain issues. In your 30s, you're dealing with certain issues. And in your 40s, it almost changes. And in your 20s, often, it's that who am I question. Well, who, what's my shape, leadership-wise? What are my gifts? The key thing, I think, you need to know, my mate, is just that actually, you will have certain strengths but you will not be strong at everything unless you're PJ Smythe. No, no, yeah, you know, very few people can do everything. And so if maybe, if maybe you're not a brilliant organiser, it's okay. Uh, just ask people around you who know and trust you, what do you think maybe my strengths are? In terms of literacy, I would say this. Um, you don't have to be. Obviously, most probably, or certainly a lot of the world and some of the most passionate Christians perhaps can't necessarily read or write. Um, but they love Jesus, they know him, and they know the stories. So it's actually much more about that. The Bible, in that sense, dare I say, is a means to an end. It's a means to a relationship. It's not the ends. And reading lots of books is not everyone's cup of tea. I would say this, though. I supernaturally have got a hunger to read that I genuinely didn't have. And I just said to God, what I remember, I said, God, I want to be a reader. I hate reading. Please give it to me. And it just happened. And I cannot stop reading Christian books now. So... I don't know if that's helpful. Yes, sir. That's a good question. The question was, if you're in a, in a church where you're not, but there is a culture of being raised up, and so you almost, you could fall into the trap of pushing yourself forward and being proactive. How do you deal with that? My, I think, I think you stay where you are, probably, because God is sovereign and he's in control. And I think um, you have to look at the example of David. Clearly wasn't being raised up by Saul, but he was called. Do you see what I'm saying? So God said, you are the man. And, and then, I mean, it's the most amazing story, isn't it? For, it seems like years, maybe, uh, Saul is trying to kill him, rooted in jealousy. I mean, it's an astonishing story. Talk about how to ruin your life. And, um, and, and, and I, I, I resonate, if I'm honest, a little bit with that. I'm trying, I'm trying to be careful because this is being recorded. But um, I think, to be honest with you, um, lots of churches are churches which release people We'll let people have a go, but they won't encourage and support them on the journey. Does that make sense? It's very different. I'll let you have a go, and I'll watch and see how you get on, rather than I'm going to walk through this with you, and I'm pulling you into your destiny. You see, that's what we want, isn't it? Where people don't just wait and just say, oh, yeah, you can have a go, but actually saying, I think you can do this. I'm going to help you get there. So I think probably trust God. Um, trust that just as God was with David, he is, he is sovereignly in control. And also just be honest. So talk to the leaders and just say look I just want to be really honest with you I don't know if this is the culture but we can change and almost humbly with real humility say look I just I wonder whether we can we can open this up and see whether there's a culture thing we can look at 
and see whether it can be changed. And if God is giving you, a, if there is a leadership gift on you and you're focusing on the things that we've been saying, he will, he will raise you up. Because ultimately, as men, we are rubbish. We kind of partner with God, but it's small p. If we're trying to say, where's God working? Oh, oh, let's help you. God's way ahead. It doesn't depend on me doing it. I can just work with God or not. So if God's plans for you are totally indestructible, unless you completely shipwreck yourself in terms of character, that's the key thing. Is that helpful? Great. Any other questions? Yeah, going green. I think, um, without getting too kind of um, psychoanalytical, um, I'm just helped by the Myers-Briggs stuff. I don't know if some of you will know that, the personality test. Anyone, give me a nod if you know it. Really helpful, but with limits. Um, that talks about introverts and extroverts, not in terms of whether you're bubbly or not, in terms of where you get your energy from. And talking about introverts are people who tend to not get their energy through being with people. And that's, I, I think it is a legitimate thing. I think this guy was saying, I really want to be a pastor. And I think, of course, there are pastors who are introverted, but their challenge will be, when I'm with people, they drain me. So it's not to mean that they're not called to do it. I just think it means that they have to understand there's a a massive challenge they're going to face, potentially, more than someone, perhaps, who naturally is energized through being with people. I think there is a difference, though, also between being drained, um, but still loving people, and genuinely, I I don't really love people. And, and that's, that's where the draining is coming from. So I think that's just something that you have to almost internally ask yourself a bit. Okay, yeah, lady over here. Sure, okay, yeah. So what are the challenges of being a leader that those that aren't leading don't recognise? Because often leadership can be like this kind of, oh, wow, it looks so easy. You know, you know, Tom just kind of jumps up and goes, woo, and everyone's like, yeah, and then, wow, that was easy. Actually, I think there's a lot more to leading than that. <laughs> That's the Tom Shaw style. <laughs> um, I would say I think um, personally, especially like and Tom and I are really good friends. I see a lot of, of what, what Tom goes through. I think one of the things I would say is that the amount of time that, that goes into ensuring that your relationship with God is in a strong place. I, I really think people underestimate that. I think, you know, for Tom to say my alarm goes off a quarter to six, it's kind of like, what? <laughs> and this man is like, you know, a busy man. And I think for me, that's probably one of the biggest ones is that people don't recognize is that be a, to be a leader means that you lead yourself well. And I think that's a huge challenge. And I think if you don't get that right, if you think just being a leader is you rock up to meetings, you stand at the front, you say a few things, everyone cheers, and then you go home feeling good about yourself, then I think you very have underestimated a lot what leadership is about. I think you need to lead yourself well. That means you, you need to be disciplined. I think that's a big challenge, especially for our generation, um, to be disciplined, to be getting up early, to ensure that we're in the Word, to ensure that we're praying. I think that's a big one. I think the emotional drain um, is a massive one. I think being a leader, you are uh, emotionally drained every day by people. You, you know, like Tom's job, my job, is basically people. You spend all day with people. So I, I absolutely love spending time with people, but it's still tiring. Um, and I think people often don't, don't understand that. And so, you know, like you can have a day full of meetings with people, and, you know, slowly but surely, it's going to kind of, you're going to be tired and people don't clock that either. So I'd say probably the, the biggest ones are that kind of that personal challenge for you as a leader to ensure that your heart is in the right place, that you are in line with God, that your relationship with him is going strong. And also that kind of emotional uh, challenge that Tom talks about in terms of um, either those that kind of try and get into the way that you lead and try and infiltrate you and, you know, kind of sort you in a way that they want you or whether it is just loving people and actually some of the challenges that you face in terms of meeting with people who are going through huge challenges i think for me personally especially you know i am quite young and if i'm honest i've lived quite a sheltered life some of the people that i spend time with it is unbelievable to think that i'm leading this person and what they're going through i have no idea because i've not experienced anything like this and yet 
they're looking to me to lead them. How do I do it? I've got to trust in God. So I say that they'll be for me. They'll be gone. I'll just say one last thing. We're going to stop there. Just trying to... Matt's sound signals. Um, just one last thing I'd say is, as Martin said, and this is really important, leadership is a gift. It is a gift. So at Christmas or whatever, you know, when you get a gift, you don't earn it. It's just something. And if it's a really amazing gift, you feel almost humbled by it, don't you? You're like, wow, I really don't deserve this. So that's why it's a little bit dangerous because people will often follow leaders because they're gifted, but um, actually they can be character-wise a complete mess, and that's really scary, um, and you do see it a lot. And ultimately, those people, when God, if God, when, when a leader is leading through, sheerly through their gift, they can end up having great responsibility and then it go wrong because of the foundations in them aren't right. And so you've got to really, at this age, be patient. Be massively patient. Don't try and... I'm so impatient by nature. The biggest thing probably God's teaching me that is just be patient. Have a long-term perspective. You've heard about leading when you're young. That isn't key. Absolutely. But don't, don't feel that you've got to rush. Don't rush the character stuff God is doing in you. Because if you are a gifted leader, you can lead people. And you... I, mean, I talked to a leader a few months ago um, of an, in another church who had ended up sleeping with the barmaid he worked with and he was carrying lots of responsibilities and he told the lead elder and the guy said, if you do it again, you know, and he did it again. So they had to tell the whole leadership in the whole church and the guy ended up having to lead the church. I mean, this is ca- so catastrophic. This goes high, high profile and he has a gift of leadership. But when I said to him, talk to me about your love for Christ, talk to me. And he just said, I just feel numb. I feel numb about Christ and I feel numb about my sin. And I honestly got like these like shivers, like I was like, that is more scary than anything I can ever come across. Because you have a gift. So he knows people will just follow him. But he's, I mean, it's not that he's not a Christian, but it's like an actual fruit in terms of his love for God. It's like there's nothing. And that is really, really scary, isn't it? And I guess I'd want to end by saying that is the gift is a gift. Love it. Celebrate it. Do not underestimate the need to walk in the fear of the Lord, saying, Lord, let me lead myself well. Yeah, let the gospel fire your soul so that when people do follow you, you're not just giving them like little tidbits or it's making it about you. but You're making it about the one that you're captivated by. Lord, I pray for this wonderful group. I thank you, Jesus. That, Lord, you want to both encourage us but also challenge us. And that mix, I hope, has come across. We thank you, Jesus, for that wonderful sense that you're with us. And, Lord, even now, as we uh, get ready to, to go and to be in the bigger setting, I want to pray that the right seeds that have been sown will not be stolen. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just really just dig them in deep. I pray for every person's heart here. The soil will be deep and really just... I pray that people will look back on this time and say, I go, seeds were sown that I never forgot. Single sentences, perhaps, that changed my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening.